I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison. And this is Podcast Without an Audience. Where two friends and their pup pick oh, two topics and find <laughs> intersections. Or not. And like he's breathing like so heavy. I know. He's gonna just be like our guest uh speaker this week. Guest speaker. He so Obi-Wan has been stuck in his crate. I've had to like drive all the way home during the week from work. Oh yeah. Which is like a 30-minute drive to let him out during the day because Ray's been out of town mm-hmm. and he's just like bouncing off the wall. So I was like, I cannot put him in Azkaban right now. No. no. Um, Cause he hasn't been out all day. So yeah, he's just going to be like running into stuff with his dense head. He's got a very dense body. I know. I know. Um, he gets he it from me. Feels like a puppy, but he's coming up on a year old soon. Isn't I know. He? He's a January? Capricorn. So yeah. he's about to turn one. Aww. Yep. You got so. him about the time we were starting the podcast, right? Yeah. Because we I were remember. on our podca- podcast retreat I remember. for my birthday. That's right. I came home, met him. But um, I, one of the first episodes we had, we did, he was laying in a bed. Oh, and that's, that's how young right. he was, that he would sit still to lay in a bed. And he was on this bed. Oh, you in don't his sit bed. still anymore, do you? Bed inception. So, yeah, but he's feeling cozy. I'm feeling cozy. I'm in a onesie right now. You're in an adorable, like, uh, what do they call that pattern of... Fl- it's uh, like a checkered... checkered. It's like buffalo... Buffalo... Plaid? Trace. That's buffalo it. Trace. Sure. I know it's a buffalo something. I know that there's at least 15 other people out there that are listening. At least... Who also ran out when they saw that first Old Navy commercial of the year to go, <laughs> go get new pajamas. I Aww. feel so cute. You look so cute. Except I, for, the okay, the onesie thing is difficult because when I pee, I, ju- I have to do the bathing suit situation right, where I just sit right. there naked. They don't have the butt flap for you? No butt flap. You know, I feel like at some point the butt flap comes back into style. Very, like, where oh, the wild oh, things oh, are. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's the butt flap. Uh, it's a butt flap age you're right yeah but i don't need a butt flap in the back no but i feel like it could go could just far enough make it work yeah yeah let's design that okay let's do that is he bothering you only a little bit <laughs> i see carrie like struggling <laughs> to push down how much does your child weigh he's like a ch- he's an ottoman he's legitimately an ottoman do you did you watch The Incredibles? You had to have at some point, yeah. right? I've, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Jack-Jack, the youngest of The uh, Incredibles, is the little boy, like, baby yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. And he can turn himself into, like, just this weighted ball. Like, he, uh-huh. you know, weighs a million pounds. And that's what I feel like your son is yeah, like right he now. Is. Come over here. Obi-Wan. Obi. This is your mother speaking. He doesn't mind. <laughs> Well, now it's become a game. Like, now he climbs up on my lap and I... Here. Okay, he's down. He's good. Okay. Um, I am also wearing red. You are. We matched, coincidentally, um, which is weird. I don't have a lot of red. But it this uh, sweatshirt came from our dear friend, or my dear friend, Daniel White. Yes. Who has two podcasts of his own. The Free Pizza Podcast, mm-hmm. where he interviews local artists. Mm-hmm. Who um, our editor, Jacob, also... 
at right? its four. Right. And then he also has the Daniel White show, which is just a little bit of everything, but it is a lot of um, meaningful conversations. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Come, Obi, come here. Come here. Hey. Come here. I've become his plaything. Yeah. Sit. Um, so he gave me this incredible sweatshirt, and it's made by um, this game, which I'm going to tell you about in just a second. But I wanted to read to you what the sweatshirt says, because yeah. it's really cute. It says, I'm going to receive everything I desire. All the right people and opportunities flow to me. I have made space for them in my life. Oh. It's just, like, very affirming. That's very us, too. It is very Did us. Did we make the sweatshirt, actually? We may have, have like, collaborated on Daniel. the design process. I love that. Um, so I will have to post a picture of this sweatshirt because it just brings me so much joy. But We're Not Really Strangers is a card game. Um, and it's my favorite card game right now. Um, and we're actually going to be playing We're Not Really Strangers in an upcoming episode. We sure are. Um, so that, I mean, you and I are clearly not strangers, but so that uh, other people can hear more of our stories and um, get more of that insider scoop. And, yes. you know, maybe we'll even learn more about each other. Oh, I would love to know more. I want to know all your secrets. I feel like you mm. know. Mm-mm. 60% maybe? Mm, oh. 70? That's fascinating. On a good day. Also, during that episode, we're also going to do like a short little Q&A. So if you have questions for us, shoot it over to our Instagram. Heck Message us yes. on Instagram because we are um, putting it out to our patrons first to be able to ask us any questions that they want. And then we're going to be opening it up to anybody. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to do like a little fun kind of non-history psychology episode just for like a little change of pace yeah because who doesn't love a little change of change of pace around the holidays i know also things have been cuckoo bananas and this seems like a really fun way to just like connect with each other and connect with you guys and build our community a little bit more Mm -hmm. um so stay tuned i mean your regularly scheduled programming isn't going anywhere also the holidays are like here and um as we record this, tomorrow is Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, it'll come out next week, the, the week after Thanksgiving. But I am going to surprise my whole family in Louisiana for does, Thanksgiving. Does anyone know you're going? Nobody knows. How are you going to get to the house from the I'm airport? I'm going to... Unclear. Okay. I have three options. I can uh uber or lyft i lyft i'm a lyft girl okay i can lyft or i can text my dad who is a terrible liar and will make it super weird and be like i have to go to the store or like (laughs) or just like give it up completely Uh but i think i'm gonna text my uncle who is pretty sly and he can kind of i think he can kind of sneak out so cool i'm gonna call him when i get to dallas and uh be like i'm gonna be there in an hour so you've got a layover in Dallas. That's right. That's exciting. I have, uh, I always fly American, mm-hmm. whatever. And so I never go to Atlanta. I always go to Dallas when I go. Huh. Mm-hmm. I haven't flown in and out of Dallas in a really long time. It's a huge airport. Very cool. There's a train. Choo-choo. Well, there's the thing in Atlanta, the... Um, they have Autobahn. a little, like, metro thingy, too. I I really, I don't fly to Atlanta. I need to go. I have so many people in Atlanta that I need to visit. I don't love Atlanta's airport 
TBH. Yeah. 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 Um, speaking of airplanes. Um, you fly them. I, I do fly them. I had dinner with my dad the other night, mm-hmm. and he is thinking about buying a aerobatic plane, like a little stunt plane. What to go out, and Steve? F- to go out and fly around, and then teach me and Jacob some like super duper light aerobatics. You are going to give me a fucking heart attack. Do you know how hard it is for me to let you go in a plane in the first place? <laughs> I don't need you doing any kind of stunts. Precious cargo. I, oh, I am well aware. Also, I'm not sure that I can actually handle it because my ear thing, like, uh-huh. just yeah. feels really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, even when doing, like, steep turns mm-hmm. sometimes, mm-hmm. I get a little wonka doodle. So um, <laughs> we're going to see how it goes. <laughs> but my dad lit up, like, a 10-year-old on Christmas morning showing me pictures of the airplanes that he's thinking about. Ugh. So... Uh, we're going to see if we can make my dad's aerobatic dreams come true. I love that for him. If anybody deserves that kind of plane, it's him. I agree. I agree. Um, at first, so he really wants a pits, uh, Mm. which is like a very fancy, uh, aerobatic plane. Is it? But it sounds like a used situation. <laughs> it sounds like the pits, I know. Yeah. Um, but he's really worried that it's going to be, like, too much of a plane for me and Jacob. So he wants something that's a little easier to handle and, like, a little bit more fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's our big aviation news this week. Oh, wow. So you're flying out of Dallas and I might be flying might a be new airplane. flipping all up in the air and shit mm-hmm. with the greatest of ease. Yeah, yeah, that's the whole plan. Wow. I'm officially going to have a heart attack. It's fine. I just won't tell you until I land. That's what we do with my mother. We yeah. just don't tell her until... Yeah, me and Cindy will be having mimosas somewhere else. <laughs> with your Xanax, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For um, sure. And also, my topic today is like the darkest cult I have ever covered. And oh, yikes. So, okay, so here's the thing. When I started researching... I I really don't know very much about cults. So when I'm researching these, except for like the big ones, right, that everybody's heard about, sure, um, it's all it's all new information. So I start from the beginning, and I read articles, and I and I so I had started my notes, and I had heard all all of these other articles and and other people in general giving like disclaimers at the beginning and i was like god this really isn't that bad and then i was like why because it didn't seem that bad and then all of a sudden i was like oh okay yeah i get it huh okay um, so what's i want to our... build it up and some of the stuff i left out um sure. and kind of paraphrased a little okay. bit okay so what's the general disclaimer uh just uh there's so many it's just a general like listener discretion situation cool so feel free to fast forward to you know well no you should still listen to it okay should absolutely still listen to it unless you get triggered at any moment and then you can skip there you go is that a good good plan good compromise good plan all right you ready to jump in probably not but we're gonna go with it perfect so we are going to be talking about the anthill kids which is Never a, heard of it. A thing that exists. The leader of the Ant Hill Kids was Roche Trelot. He was born on May 16th, 
1942nd in Quebec, Canada. Huh. According to Wikipedia, he was generally considered to be a very intelligent person. However, he did drop out of school in the seventh grade. He then began to teach himself the Old Testament. So here's where it starts. Dropping out of school to fully devote himself to Bible study. Sure. It starts at the very beginning. A very good place to start. Yep. So he, he began to believe through his studies that the end of the world was imminent, which is a familiar concept, right? Um, and there would be a war between good and evil. So all of this was imminent. All of this was happening in the near, near future. So far, I don't feel like he's wrong. Yeah. Like, it definitely still feels that way. It does feel that way, doesn't it? Every single fucking day. Yeah. 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 Great. Wait a... We're just... This is just... My my half gets better. <laughs> my half is light and your pretty. Laugh, yeah, your half is light. You're, I was about to say your laugh is height. <laughs> um... So he was raised Catholic, but he did convert to be a Seventh-day Adventist, which I thought is a very interesting yeah. progression. What a unique jump. It really is. It really is because they're, they're so different. So different. And also, um, I, I don't know. I feel like we missed the whole Jehovah's Witness step that I feel like should have been somewhere the they're like there? distant cousins. Yeah. But the thing about Catholicism is that it's so ritualistic. Some people find comfort in that. It's It goes either way. I just had a conversation with someone about that the other night. About oh, yeah? like people who stay in religion for the comfort mm-hmm. that like the predictability of it. Mm-hmm. And like just how soothing that can be. Even if they don't necessarily love the teaching. Like yeah. the yeah. music is beautiful. And like the sure. pomp and circumstance can be really pretty. Especially in the Catholic Church. Yeah. Yes. And it's very old, very history. Yeah. It connects you with something deep. Oh, for sure. Especially if it's not also being paired with religious trauma. Yeah. Which it sounds like this certainly is. And Seventh-day Adventists are such a unique, like, sect of Christianity. And they, it provides a new window and a new lens in which to, like, look at everything through. It's kind of, like, new agey in a way. Um it's it's it just might be something completely new that yeah. might be refreshing to you. Yeah. Who knows? He was also considered to be a very charismatic person. Most cult leaders are. They all are. But he's literally described to be charismatic. I feel like we need to start a checklist of cult leaders. Oh, that'd be fun. Wouldn't that be so much fun? That'd be fun. Charismatic leader? Check. Check. Checkmate. High IQ, check. He was also, like, described to be able to have a conversation with anybody, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. He never knew a stranger. He could talk to anybody off the street, which, again, is dangerous when in the wrong hands. For sure. Use that power for good, not evil. Exactly. So when he was about 30 years old, he began to reach out to others with similar ideologies and asked them to join him in a communal living situation. Check. In exchange for meaningful meditation and answers to divine questions, these people would have to give up their lives outside of the organization, including jobs and homes. 
So is that the point at which a commune becomes a cult? I would have to say, yeah. Okay, because I feel like there are communal living situations that work really well for oh, some yeah. people. Um, so I'm like trying to figure out where that line is. And I figured why not have a discussion about it when we're currently having a discussion. So, yeah. I mean, there's hostels, there's communal living, and there's cults, right? Hostels, you pay to like stay, but it's also a communal kind of situation. Yeah, yeah. Communes are you're not necessarily paying like a fee but you're doing something in exchange so working taking care of the kids whatever it takes like a village shared kind of living yeah yeah and then a cult is you have to give up everything else and just focus on this no working outside correct yeah but there are some cults that did allow people to have a, have jobs uh but you know but then would isolate them too so you know, it's just it's variations of them, I guess. Yeah, there's a cult not too far from here um, that the cult is revolves around the church. They own a ton of land, and all these houses are on the land. But they also own a business, mm-hmm. and most of the people who are in the cult also work for this business. Interesting. So it's kind of got like this in-the-world and of-the-cult vibe uh-huh. at the same time. Oh, yeah. It's fascinating. Also super religious and... I can't tell you why I know about them. Possibly isolating. Possibly. Mm-hmm. It's because you're a deacon in the church. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or there are children involved. He had, during this process, he had kind of branched out of the Seventh-day Adventist community. And even the members of that church were off limits. Like, even the Seventh-day Adventists were, like, untouchable. <laughs> Which is, like, Yikes. cuckoo bananas. <laughs> So, no contact was to be had with anybody outside of the organization. So, he's starting to isolate these people. Right, okay? right. So, during this kind of general spiral, Roche became, Roche, 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 became more and more concerned about the end of the world. He began, or excuse me, Roche believed that he was visited by God. Mm-hmm who told him that the end of the world was coming in February of 1979, and it was time to prepare. Sounds like as good a time as any. I mean, the 70s were a good time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure every day felt like it could have been the end of the world. (laughs) When did that song, The End of the World As We Know It, come out? Oh, by R.E.M.? Yeah. 80s? That's a great question. 80s, I would think. Okay. That's like one of the CDs my dad owned was like the REM hits. Yeah. So it was like that one, like it's the end of the world. And then I'm pushing the elephant up the stairs. Yeah. Those yeah, are yeah. the only two REM songs I remember. <laughs> so God told him that they would need to get out of the city and into nature. And there they would be saved. So he hiked his whole community to somewhere called the Gasp Peninsula. In Canada. And this is where they settled, building a communal living space for all of the members. A little bit off the grid. I'm going to add that to the list as well and say check. (laughs) The commune was built by hand by the members of the organization. And this is where they get the name, the Ant Hill Kids, because they appeared to look like little worker ants. Huh. Me, me, me. You know... 10 out of 10 for whoever named them. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a phenomenal link up. I really like that. Yeah. You're going to hate it. 
Oh, probably. <laughs> but the name, like the name is top notch. Uh, it, it sounds, sounds like, like a band. Well, it sounds like a band or something out of a novel. Like yeah. it's just mm. good naming. Yeah, it is good naming. It's like when you read an article and you're like Im- mm. impressed with mm-hmm. the quality of the name. Yeah. Sorry, continue. So the Ant Hill Kids. So the month of February 1979 comes and goes. <gasps> and when nothing happens, naturally, there are some questions from the group. Why? What happens now? And there were some doubts that started building within the, the members. Yeah. So his explanation for why the world didn't end was very simple. Time on Earth... And in God's world, we're not the same. And this is why there was a miscommunication. That checks out for me. It does check out for me, too. Like, honestly, the creating the world in seven days, like, it was definitely not the linear or the days that we know. Sure. It's also a part of Islam as well. When they talk about, like, a feature of God, it's not what... It's not like if they talk about like God's hand, it's not like a hand that we know. Right. It's like this whole other thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I that completely checks out for me too. Well, and a lot of this is human construct. Like the time is a social construct because it helps us communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, time outside of language exists, but not in the way that we conceptualize it. Do you know what else is ridiculous? What? The, the time change. Five, sure. It doesn't make it any is. sense. Do you know what Puerto Rico does? They're like, nah, we're not going to participate. I think Arizona does too. Like the entire state of Arizona was just like, nah, thanks. How, <laughs> like what I what I find fascinating is people who live on the line. I think about like, that work, so much. How do, you, how do you know what anyone is talking about ever? Ever. Ever. Like where are you meeting and at what time, like... Nobody's going to be on the same page. Well, I mean, the same thing is true for, like, when um, you're traveling across the country around the world and, like, the time is different. It's off by, like, seven hours because no one actually uses Zulu time, which is zero. Like, it's the time. And then everything is measured off of that. Um, like, we're negative five hours from Zulu time mm. as East Coasters. Uh, but it just blows my mind. Like, what if I lived right on that timeline? Yeah. Like, if I'm traveling through Tennessee, and halfway through Tennessee, the time changes. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? I, 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 I know. I don't know. As North Carolinians, we're like, we cannot relate at all. Okay, so, little link up real quick. Um, my dad did kind of a trip around the world in a twin-engine airplane back in 2015. So he, long story, very, very short, ended up in Japan. The plane broke down. My dad flew to Japan to fix the airplane. And then with another pilot, they were flying up to Alaska from Japan. Oh, okay. So because of the flight and how long it was, they knew that the gas tanks on the wings were not going to hold enough fuel to get them to Alaska. Mm -hmm. So instead, they had taken out all the chairs like all the seats in the back of the plane and put in a bladder that could be filled with fuel. And they were going to switch that so that eventually the engine would pull off the bladder rather than the wings. Yep. Uh, As they're flying over the Pacific ocean, both engines quit at the same time. No. 
Um, Steve, no! This is like, I think, 10 or 11 hours into the flight. Oh, my God. It's the middle of the night. They're both exhausted. And the way that my dad tells it, they were both off for like 10 seconds. The way the other pilot tells it, they were off for like 10 minutes. (gasps) So who knows how long they were actually off. I don't know how anything works. So like... How long can you go? Well, planes, when they don't have engines, essentially become gliders, like right. paper airplanes. Meow. So so long as you're not pulling the nose up, you can just kind of float on down pretty slowly, depending on the airplane. Okay. But it just becomes like a little glider. Okay. Um, so, But they fix it uh-huh. and figured out that it was because of the, like, switch between the two different mm-hmm. tanks. So the, figure the it out. The doohickey, right? Yeah. So they look on the map and realize that there's an airport on a remote island in the Aleutian chain um, off the coast of Alaska, which is about where they are. So they call and the other pilot's like, yo, we need to land. And the guy says, well, is it an emergency? And they're like, yeah. And the pilot says, no. (gasps) He's like, we fixed it. We would just like to land to just make sure. And the guy's like, well, this is a military base. You can't land here. Uh, unless you declare an emergency. So my dad I says... I declare bankruptcy! <laughs> <laughs> my dad picks up the mic and says, very well, we declare an emergency. We'll see you in five minutes. Mm-hmm. So they land on this thing. So all of that to say, the coolest part about this okay. is that the dateline, the international dateline, which is where the day changes, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, runs through the Pacific Ocean. Right. And it makes a little bunny hop around this island. Oh, that's convenient. So they are on this island, um, whose name I'm not going to say because it is a military base, uh-huh. and I don't want my dad to get in trouble for having military landed there. Military base island. Um, but as they're standing on this island, they can see another island that's uninhabited. And they were standing into in today and looking into tomorrow oh. because the next island, like the international dateline, ran through them. Wow! So he was looking literally into the future, wow. and that just blew my fucking mind. That's so cool! Isn't that the coolest shit? My, I was like on the edge of my seat, Carrie Ann. Thank you. What I feel like I'm really. Am- Thank you. I've been really trying. I've got a lot of other stories to tell, but that reminds me in. A walk to remember, where yeah. she's standing uh, in two, two places, places at, at once. once. Have we, I feel like we've talked about that on the podcast before. I don't but think we have. It's one of those like weird things you've never thought about. Mm-hmm. You know, time is weird. Everything is weird. Everything is weird. But yeah, I wanted to share my time is weird. My dad did this cool thing story. Since we're talking about airplanes so much this episode, oh. also Japan, which is going to come up later. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I talk. I, okay, like I don't know what you're. The you know what my topic we is. Both watched was also they know too. Yeah, everyone cool knows. Cool episodes always like screw me up because I our whole concept <laughs> goes out the window and I I don't know. Um. So, back to cult world. So the cult leader, like we kind of see him his thinking changing during this time so he was wrong he's obviously feeling a little bit insecure about it i'm gonna go ahead and assume so he knows that he's losing control a little bit of the community so he needs to get back into control so he does this by introducing a new rule yikes yes members are not able to be sexually involved with each other without permission Check. Check. 
Sounds like another cult thing. God has also told him that he should marry all of the women in the cult. Oh, I love when God tells you to marry a bunch of women. He should marry them with the intentions of impregnating them. Absolutely not. So in total, all nine women eventually become pregnant. And then... Just because God gives consent doesn't mean that women do. Absolutely. So in the next couple years, he ends up fathering over 20 children within the cult. Hmm. Okay. And that's not even the worst part. Oh, I was hoping there'd be more. Yeah. So something else he introduces is that members were starting to wear identical uniforms. This is like fucking cult 101. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they look kind of like tunics. Like they're all just basic tunics. Um, And this would represent the equality of everyone in the organization. And of course, the devotion also. Uh, Naturally. to To the org. And his beliefs are becoming even more irrational. So Roche began spying on his members, okay? And then when somebody does something wrong, some type of infraction occurs, he would claim that God told him what they were doing and what was going on. And then the members were punished. Mm. So it's like setting them up for failure, right? Manipulation. Punishments included physical beatings with objects, including belts and hammers. It also included suspending members from the ceiling, plucking out body hair, and sometimes even defecating on the people. This sounds like kink without consent. This is horrible. This is horrifying. Yeah. And absolutely not. It gets worse. Of course it does. Other punishments included forcing members to break their own legs. What? Yes. Forcing them to sit on lit stoves and even shoot other members of the organization in places that wouldn't result in death. So, like, a lot of times the shoulders. Yeah. What the fuck? Eating dead mice. Just, like, yeah. It's so disturbing. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that got real dark real I know. quick. I know. I know. Like, this was we the journey from, I took. We went from, this guy's really into the Old Testament, to mm. break your own leg and shoot other people. Yeah. Yep. He's How does one break their own leg? With a mallet. <gasps> I wasn't expecting you to have an answer. I did. I, did. I left it out <laughs> for protection. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I had a visceral reaction. <laughs> I had a to nervous that. laugh about it. <laughs> um, what? So, ex members have reported to be forced to cut off other members' toes to show loyalty to the group. Can I share a fun fact? Sure. It, it takes the same amount of uh, pressure to bite into a baby carrot as it does to bite off your pinky finger. Oh, wow. Yep. That's all it takes. Oh, yikes. So yeah. the baby carrot on the face thing could be easily solved. Holy <gasps> shit. You just eat the carrot. Or you have someone else bite it off because I don't know how you could like. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah. That's a good. Someone you really love, though, could bite yeah. off the baby well, carrot. But I wonder if there's nerves in the baby carrot. 
I hope not. I hope not, too. I don't know. I mean, even though I made the rules, I still don't fully understand the concept. Huh. There were also no exceptions for children on the abuse, which we will not be discussing today. But the cult leader's beliefs were again changing. This time it was about purification, which of course could be achieved through a ceremony involving members stripping down naked and being beaten. He then began to start doing that thing that cult leaders do where they try to heal the sick, Mm -hmm. right? So he has this idea that he's going to start performing operations on the sick people. So he performed operations on members to show that he had healing powers. These included performing circumcisions on children and adults. Yeah, yikes. As well as injecting ethanol solution into members' stomachs. So a lot of times members like who were having some type of internal issue, he was just going to kind of play operation. And he used ethanol a lot. And it could be anything from like, I have diarrhea or like, I'm like, I have a a gallstone or a kidney stone or something like that. He was going to solve your problem. Yeah. Hate all of that. Yep. It's terrible. Not great. Not great. In 1987, the abuse was reported. So eventually was reported and 17 children were removed from the from the home. However, at this time, Roach did not face any jail time. What? How is that possible? They removed the kids. It was 1987. I don't know. I mean, same shit still happening today. Don't ask me how I know. But in 1989, a member named Solange Bolliard began complaining of an upset stomach. Roche cut open her stomach and dislodged her intestines with his bare hands. He then asked another member of the organizations to sew her back up, to stitch her back up. And she did die the very next day. Of course she fucking did. Of course she did. Who made this guy think he's God? I don't know. Or a doctor. Yeah. Or a worthy human. Unclear. But at this point, Roach claimed to have the power to also resurrect people who were dead. Well, that's a handy gift. It is a handy gift. Only it didn't fucking work. (laughs) Of course it didn't fucking work. And he bore a hole in her head. And they did some pretty fucked up shit to her that I'm not, I really don't feel comfortable talking about. Um, I can tell you later if you want. Uh, I think I'm good. We're not a true crime podcast. (laughs) All of this makes me nervous. (laughs) But um, when she didn't wake up as was planned, uh, they did bury her. And then he got jail time. He absolutely did. Thank the gods. The same year, Roach was arrested after the assaults of uh, another member named Gabrielle Laval who had reported abuse, including forcibly removing her teeth and cutting off her arm. Come again? Yeah. Quote, so Roach, quote, was found guilty of assault for the amputation of Lavalie's arm 
and received a sentence of 12 years imprisonment. The vast majority of the cult's followers abandoned him after his arrest, but during his imprisonment, he fathered another four children with remaining female members during conjugal visits. Can you imagine being one of those kids? Yikes. So he reported allowing further investigation. Oh, sorry. I'm getting confused with people's last names. Lavalie's report allowed further investigation into Roach's actions, exposing the the wider abuses of the communes and the Solange Boiler's murder and Solange Boiler's murder. In 1993, his, uh, Roach pleaded guilty to second-degree murder of the death of Solange Boilard and was sentenced to life imprisonment. In 2000, Roach was transferred to Dorchester Penitentiary, a medium-security prison in Dorchester, New Brunswick. In 2002, Roach was rejected for parole as he was considered to be high-risk to reoffend, <laughs> and he never applied again. On February 26, 2011, 63-year-old Roach was found dead near his cell at Dorchester Penitentiary. His death is believed to be the result of an altercation with his cellmate. Matthew Gerard McDonald, a 60-year-old convict murder from Port-a-Port, Newfoundland and blah, blah, blah. Uh, who was charged with the killing, end quote. So All right, then. He did get his in the end. That quote was a little bit of a mess. I apologize. That's okay. Um, but what I find so interesting is that the cults that we have covered before have not been so physically abusive. Um, and they haven't been, at least they haven't been angled that way. Like, we haven't really covered any cults that have done any self-castration, which is something that other cults do uh, or have done. Um, but it really seems like the cult leader was an abusive piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think there's a spectrum of cult and maybe a color wheel, not like linear spectrum, but like where people fall within like all these different items on the checklist. Mm -hmm. Like we know that most cults have a charismatic cult leader mm -hmm. and we know that a lot of them have communes or, you know, some kind of, living. yeah, uh, wardrobing or outfits or something like specific that they have to wear. Um, but there's a component of cults that's about like manipulation and abuse, either like religious abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. And I think what's so shocking about this is he has really hit every single fucking one. Yeah. He's like the overachiever in the worst fucking way. Uh huh. And is just leaving a wake of pain and destruction. Yeah. It's really horrible. Yeah. And I am so sorry to have done, done this to everyone, but that is the story of the Ant Hill Kids. Great name. Terrible concept. Terrible cult. Terrible, terrible. So they are no longer. No one has replaced him. Nobody has replaced him. Okay. As of his sentencing, um, there were... There were members who, you know, were hanging on. Sure. Um, and they have children. But I, I don't know if they're currently still 
Um, a lot of cults do fall apart when their religious leader yeah. goes away, but some others become stronger, like the FLDS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Church. <laughs> All right. Well, okay, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're getting some happy, uh, some happy chemicals. Yeah, take a couple of deep breaths on this break. We all need them. By deep breaths, you mean shots, right? Absolutely, <laughs> I do. Yes. All right, and we're back, and we're going to just keep this ball rolling. Yes, we are. Do you need another Truly before we get started? Do you? No, I'm good. Do okay. you? Okay. I can reach them, so. I saw you reaching for the box, so I wasn't I was, sure. I, well, there's this, like, weird paper thing that's, like, cutting off half your face. But I can... I, can, I know. It's very much a... Uh, um, Picasso. Nope. Music, Phantom of the Opera vibe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I definitely got like a Phantom of the Opera oh, I situation. Mm-hmm. I kind of, I'm enjoying it personally. One thing about Phantom of the Opera is that my sister had downloaded, this is like from LimeWire days. Okay. Nice. There was this one DDR song that was like a Phantom of the Opera like remix that was like <laughs> on. And it was my life for like, that was probably my early, you know, love with, with broadway <laughs> honestly i feel as though should i ever get married i will be walking down the aisle to a ddr phantom of the opera remix oh, like I love that back up the aisle maybe not down the aisle yeah, yeah, yeah but that just feels right to my soul it's good yeah um so we all know that the topic of our cult following movie today is spirited away spirited away a studio, studio ghibli, ghibli. Um, I love that that was not planned and was still executed perfectly. Yes. So I wanted to like, I feel like I've been talking about myself a lot in this episode. Um, so we're not saving much for the imagination (laughs) for when our Q and a episode comes out. But when I was in high school, we had a Japanese exchange student and as her going away present to us, she gifted us spirited away on DVD. And that was the first time I watched it. Of course, being from, like, a small town pre-Netflix and pre, like, all these streaming services, I had never seen a Studio Ghibli film. Mm -hmm. My mind was blown. Um, I watched it with her one of the last nights that she lived with us and had not seen it since until I watched it for this episode. And it's a Patreon pick. And I was just about to get there. It's a Patreon pick. My second Patreon pick in a row. Thank you very much. Uh, shout out and thanks to Aaron Walters. Yes. Super duper excited. Um, we're going to actually talk a little bit about whether or not this is a cult film, but Studio Ghibli itself definitely has a cult following. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So quick synopsis, because I love the short synopsis that leaves absolutely everything out. Um <laughs> But the Spirited Away synopsis is, during her family's move to the suburbs, a sullen 10-year-old wanders into a world a world ruled by gods, witches, and spirits, where humans are changed to beasts. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just love how concise IMDb gets with their synopsis. Yeah, you're like, huh? It's literally... I, mean, I guess there are witches. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, I guess we'll get there. Yeah. 
Um, so the film was originally released in Japan in 2001, and everybody was immediately obsessed. Oh. They were like, from the moment they saw it, they were like, okay, what's Miyazaki going to do next? Mm-hmm. Like, there was just so much hype about it. It came over to American theaters two years later in 2003. And then took the animated film industry here by storm. Mm-hmm. As it features a likable and interesting as well as sympathetic characters, gorgeous artwork and animation, mm-hmm. um, a spectacular soundtrack, and a s- really interesting storyline. Like, it's not a film that you can watch and figure out what's coming next. It's nothing like anything I've ever seen. Well, and we're going to talk about why that is. Mm-hmm. But I had the exact same thought. All of his movies, all of Miyazaki's movies are, like, unique. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, I think that's, that's the stamp of fantasy. Is oh, absolutely. It doesn't follow necessarily, like, the arc you would imagine. Well, I was going to save this to the end, but I'm going to go ahead and bring it up here. Miyazaki's films almost never had scripts. Did you know this? No. Quote, I don't have the story finished and ready when we start to work on a film. I usually don't have the time. What? So the story develops when I start drawing storyboards. The production starts very soon thereafter while the storyboards are still developing. So they kind of let the plot happen organically, which sounds really stressful to me. Oh my God, what trust. Obviously working for him. So he says, quote, it's not me who makes the film. The film makes itself, and I have no choice but to follow. What the fuck does that... I mean, I get what it means, I guess, but, like, what a... I cannot... I could never in a million years work like that, like you had just said. Also, like, what... What kind of faith do you have to have in a writer or director or producer to be like, listen... We will buy your story, even though it's not finished. Right. The confidence they have to have. Yeah. Which I get. Like, he's a legend at this point. Oh, my God. It's incredible. Anything after my neighbor... Totoro? Is that how Totoro. 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 Yep. Um, Yeah. I mean, that was like a childhood. That was a dream. Oh, absolutely. and, And I think children's movies nowadays... Uh, like Disney really set the scene for like having movies that are for children that adults can enjoy. Enjoy, yeah. and this is the exact same way. Except that there are so many pieces of this. Like you're right, a child would enjoy this for the artwork and for the beauty and like the simplicity of the story, but they would never get the nuance of it. Like just all the different pieces that we're going to talk about. But it's very layered. It's so very layered. Un- onion-y. Like, Disney, I think, does a good job of creating storylines that have adult humor in them, mm-hmm. but it doesn't always have, like, the multiple layers. Well, and, and this movie is two hours, yeah. so buckle it's up. It's a commitment. If for sure. And I had forgotten that when I committed I to rewatching it. <laughs> when Same, I signed though. Up. Yeah. Same, though. Um, so... It received both a Japanese and English dubbed version, plus an English subtitled version. Mm-hmm. Um, it was licensed by the Walt Disney Company and made as a Studio Ghibli production. And it received the Best Animated Film of the Year Award, Academy Award, in 2003. Mm. It is considered one of the most well-known and successful Japanese animated 
or anime films both on both sides of the ocean. Mm. So wherever my dad was coming from, Studio Ghibli was there. Is that what anime means? Animated? I think that that's the origin of the word. Is yeah. it? <gasps> Japanese is it? anime has been around for a long time. I mean, time. I know, but is that where the word comes from? I don't know. I'll go- You should make that a uh, history topic. Mm. Origin mm-hmm. of the word anime. Um, a little bit more trivia is the first film to have earned more than 200 million American dollars gross before opening in the United States. Oh. So it was so popular already. People were talking about it so much that they bought into it before it had even opened. I That's bet. huge. Um, and it was the very first anime film to be nominated for and win an American or an Academy Award. That's great. So just like everyone was absolutely obsessed. And with the artwork and the storyline and everything else, it makes total sense. There's only one part that I was like, ah, this is weird. In the the shot when they first are going into the tunnel, Uh the dad runs at the camera and it's like crotch. It's crotch fade. You know what I'm saying? That that like shot has stuck with me since I saw it in 2003. I think about, I think about that choice. <laughs> huh? Probably far more than and other people might. I feel like I, ju- <laughs> I feel like I just blocked it out entirely. Yeah, like I there's didn't. No part of me that remembers that. Huh. And I may or may not have watched it within the past twenty four hours. <laughs> I'll just send you like a rerun <laughs> of the crotch. If you would, that would be great. Transition shot. So. The thing that I really appreciate about this film, and of course we can talk more about the storyline itself because the storyline is really fascinating. Um, But what I loved about it was all of the connections to Japanese culture. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted to talk a little bit about like the characteristics of the Japanese culture that are pulled into this film, a little bit of religion stuff that's pulled in here, because I think that that's really fascinating. And then we're going to talk about No Face, because he plays a key role, and I feel like he's very popular, but no one really understands him. Mm -hmm. So first, um, we have this like contemporary little person who is moving with her family, super upset about it, really whiny, kind of on my nerves. Um, But then she goes into the spirit world where everything is very old and traditional. So I'm going to be quoting pretty heavily from an article called Spirited Away and the Japanese Popular Popular Culture. Um, And they said... Quote, it combines elements of both the old and the new to show that even with the development of new technology, the people of Japan, particularly children, should not forget their traditions while embracing that which is new. And I oh, yeah. love this. Like when I went to Japan, I was in Japan in 2016, and seeing the juxtaposition between like the old and the new, we were standing in the emperor's gardens mm-hmm. and you see all this old architecture around you and everyone's still very humbled by it. Like yeah. we were on a tour with mostly Japanese people who wanted to go and be in this space. And then in the background, there were high rises and like Tokyo, as you expect Tokyo to look like new- New York City on steroids. Oh, for sure. Um, but seeing that like dynamic and how that flows within the culture and within the city is really fascinating. Mm-hmm. 
um, seeing the ways, like, in this movie, uh, shoes were taken off. Mm -hmm. This is still something that the Japanese do, and it's something that they've done for thousands of years. It's part of their culture. Mm -hmm. Like, you bow and show respect, and you take off your shoes before entering a place. And having, like, watching, um, watching Shihiro, like, having to be reminded to like bow and thank a person or like taking off her shoes and socks uh, before going in. Like she was already taking off her shoes, but was going to leave her socks on. Right. And um, Lynn was like, no, take off your socks. You're not going to need them. Mm-hmm. So like seeing this, these constant reminders about Japanese tradition and expectations. And what I noticed too was that although the, the words were translated into English. When she's entering into the theme park, all of the signs are still in Japanese, yeah. which I thought was fantastic. I appreciated it too. Oh yeah, like they're, they're like, we are not changing changing the ship. No, we will not be um, making you know this an American anyway. feel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Miyazaki, the creator of Spirited Away, says, quote, It's a poor idea to push all the traditional things into a small folk culture world surrounded by high technology and flimsy devices. Children are more and more losing their roots, and we must inform them of the richness of our traditions. End quote. Um, and I just really felt like I saw that throughout the entire film. Yeah. Like, it was all about respecting the traditions within japan Mm -hmm. um respecting the traditions within this like very traditional bathhouse Mm -hmm. which are still in japan and still very popular um but but seeing that was really cool and i think they did it in a way that reinforces culture without saying this is a cultural issue oh yeah that you need to address also that she's so young too like she's a child and so what what portion of all of this is like her being reminded because she's out of touch with it and also what portion of it is, is like maybe her she's parents like a 10 year old yeah yeah she's a 10 year old and maybe her parents have kind of lost touch of some of their own traditions it sounds like they have yeah like sitting down and eating all that food mm-hmm. is not a very japanese way to well they were put under a spell right right yeah yeah Um, so the argument in the, uh, article was that this, one of the features of this film was that it provides a message for future generations to make Japan and the greater world better than the parents did before them. So like remembering Mm. the goodness and bringing that forward, but like letting go of, um, like some of the older things. Mm Mm-hmm. Another major aspect of Japanese culture um, is the system and hierarchy in the workplace. Oh. So we definitely saw this in the bathhouse. It's in like a very literal sense. Yes, ma'am. Did you notice that Lynn's voice? Did you notice her voice? Megara from Hercules. Hercules. I've been been like jumping out of my onesie to tell you. (laughs) So I could not place it for a minute. Yeah. And finally figured it out. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love it. Because she plays such a good, like, 
Ba- I don't know, badass, like saucy, oh, just like sarcastic five, sure. character. My favorite character, I think, by far. Yeah. Other than the little pieces of soot, which I thought were very oh, cute. Oh, yeah. Beep, beep, beep. Beep, beep, beep. There are so many Miyazaki tattoos in general, but also like spirited away tattoos. Like I know several really? people that have the, the soot tattoos. Oh, that's mm-hmm. kind of adorable. Isn't it cute? That is cute. It's very cute. I love that. Um. Yeah, so Lynn... I think it's my favorite character. And it's not just because it's also the same person who voiced Megara. Mm-hmm. But there was another person who was really big, um, who was one of the voice actors. I don't remember who it was right this second. There is the guy who, who like, is just, like, a famous voice actor who does the guy who gives the tokens out. He's... He's like a famous voice actor. Maybe that's the one that I was mm-hmm. like, this sounds really, really mm-hmm. familiar. He's like, no way. You don't get a whatever kind a of token. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. We'll come back to it. Maybe it's later on in my notes. I don't think so, but we'll see. <laughs> um, so Yubaba is the witch who runs the bathhouse. And she's at the very top of this hierarchy. So her quarters are, like, on the top floor of the bathhouse. She is physically above everyone. Uh, Kamaji? I'm sorry? I'll save my joke. No, go for it. Unless it no longer fits. No, I'll say it later. Okay. Kamaji, the boiler man, lives and works in the basement of the bathhouse, um, which reflects his, like, super low status. He's very cool. In the well. He is very cool. He has cool. lots of arms. Lots of legs. Yeah. I'm here for it, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Multitask like hell. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, thinking about this hierarchy, not only within the workforce, mm-hmm. which um, our former Japanese exchange student, she and I are still very, very close, and we talk pretty regularly, and she's, like told me a little bit about the Japanese workforce experience. Oh, man. I Uh, know. And just, like, what that hierarchy is like and their hiring practices. Also, something that's interesting about Japanese culture is that they have lifetime employment, which is not a thing that exists in the U.S. anymore. But it's this idea that once you're hired somewhere, you stay there until you retire. Mm -hmm. Like, you... often just stay at one place and they will like find a role for you if you're not good at your role yeah but if you miss your window of finding a job during like the process of like finding these lifetime enroll or lifetime employment places Mm -hmm. it's really really difficult to to find a job do you know the window so 35 well it's um most people graduate from undergrad in like i think may okay our student graduated in september late or early uh late september so maybe it's february and september but or like march and september but after they, or before the after okay um because she'd been an exchange student and ended up like doing an extra semester of school to make up for yeah. the credits that she missed while she was here um so the like hiring window starts whenever the majority of schools finish and graduate and it's like for the next six months and she came in you have yeah she came in on the late side of that so she like struggled to find a job because of the way that that society yeah works 
and now, I mean, she's found a job. She's super successful um, and she's doing, you know, great work. But it's just interesting to talk about and hear about how different that is than ours. Where like we change jobs every five years or like three to five years, depending on where you're working and how much you're enjoying. And it, is it meeting your financial needs? Well, just like I personally believe that like the first person you ever date should not be the person you end up with because I think that is horrible and your tastes evolve. Agreed. Um, I would say that with your first job out of college. Like yeah. you don't know shit about shit. No, and you shouldn't know shit about shit because yeah. you're still a baby. How could you possibly be held accountable for making a decision right. that huge that soon? Right, but this... The culture is so deeply rooted in tradition, yeah. and that's just the way that they do things. Now, they do have a more universal way of taking care of people than we do, um, but still, it's not—it's a very collectivist culture. It's not an individualistic culture, mm-hmm. um, and I think you see a little bit more of that with, um, God, why can't I remember her name? Shihiro? Oh, Shihiro. Shihiro. With Shihiro, like, wanting to be more individualistic and, Mm -hmm. like, still trying to fit into how to work with all these people in the workplace and kind of making it all happen. Mm -hmm. So, pretty fascinating. I also want to talk a little bit about the Shinto religion. And so, Shintos believe that everything has a spirit or a soul. In our house, when we had um, our student with us, I had a collection of baby dolls. Like, I collected baby dolls as a kid and growing up. And they oh, were, you did? Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> really, like, porcelain dolls. Uh-huh. Um, and they were all in my closet because I would outgrown them by the time she came to visit and live with us for a year, but, like, wasn't ready to sell them yet. And she refused to go into my closet because she felt that all the dolls had souls and that she was afraid to anger them. Sure. Which also checks out because these were pretty creepy (laughs) dolls. Um, But you see that in this movie as well Mm -hmm. with the idea that everything has a soul, like the river has a soul. And that river's soul is now being owned by this bathhouse. Yep. Um, so the Shinto belief that everything in nature has a spirit and must be treated with proper respect. Um, a couple of spirits in the film in particular, like Haku and the stink spirit, whose true identities and spirits are of their own rivers. Mm -hmm. Um, Haku, it's revealed in the movie is the spirit of the Koaku river. Mm -hmm. Um, and as Shihiro explains, they filled in all, they filled in that river. It's all apartments now. Mm hmm. Um, due to the development of humans, Haku no longer had a home to return to. Mm -hmm. So even in this place of like connecting tradition and history with religion and like all these really valuable things within the culture, you see how they're showing children, like you have to take care of these spaces Mm -hmm. because where else is the spirit going to go? Right. And that's so important too. I would imagine in a country that is limited with space. Yeah. You know, like we got to take care of what we got because we're growing so fast. And yeah, you know, we got to figure out ways to do things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, And it's fascinating. There's an article that I read back in like 2016 or 2017 that was about the Galapagos effect on Japan. So the Mm -hmm. Galapagos theory is that 
or that animals adapt to their environment? Evolution. Evolution. Galapagos Islands. Galapagos Islands. Look it up. Yeah. Darwin. But they call it the Galapagos effect, and they think that there's a lot to study in Japan about how people in Japan have adapted their environment and have adapted themselves to meet the constraints of their environment because there's literally nowhere for them to grow. Yeah. So really cool shit. Uh, anyways, then we have the stink spirit and the idea of pollution. Like he was so clogged. Yeah, he was. That it took this young girl to pull to a bike out of him, right? Pull That's a bike what it was. and everything else. Yeah. Like just all this shit that had been thrown in his river. Yeah. Um, but they thought he was, like, this gross being and no one wanted to care for him. Yeah. And then once he was clean, they realized what was going on and how much gold there was to be found there. Um, and it's just, all about the gold. Trace a, it back to the gold, baby. I love a good metaphor. Yeah. Like, this movie is filled with metaphor. And that's where all these layers start to come in. So, let's talk No Face. Because he's probably the most well-known character from this film. Yeah. Um, he has become one of the most recognizable characters. And he's present in a lot of Spirited Away merchandise, including, like, dresses, coats. I've seen a few tattoos over the years. I have done a no-face dance routine. Oh, my gosh, you anime did. convention in Charlotte. I forgot. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. If we have the video of that, we should post it. We will not. We will not. <laughs> we will not. <laughs> but I have never gotten applause like that initially being, like, coming out as a character. Like, it was wild. Like, the audience was like, this is it. Well, and I think that goes back to why this is a cult film. Mm-hmm. Because people who see this film feel connected to this film. And I think it's because it taps into something very deep within us. Mm-hmm. Um, and No Face is relatable because he's misunderstood. Yeah, exactly. So No Face starts out as a character who's unable to speak and really has kind of very little presence. Mm-hmm. And then Shihiro, Chihiro, Shihiro. I don't know why I'm struggling with this name right now. It's all right. Uh, Sin. Sin notices him and allows him into the bathhouse. The art director of Spirited Away says, quote, No Face swallows the bathhouse workers, and I thought it might have been interesting if he acquired their personalities and ability to reason. This way he might become more human and appealing. No Face then helps Sin and thus um, attempts to help her in her return. He offers her anything that she might possibly want, such as gold or bath tokens, and yet Sin refuses all of his gifts, even when he becomes angered and nearly kills her. Mm-hmm. Quote, No Face provides an obvious message here, and that is, it is commendable to resist greediness in favor of a more noble goal for which Sin is saving for her parents. Absolutely. So, I mean, she has no need for gold. She's 10. Right. Right. The tokens, I mean, she reluctantly i guess by proxy accepted them because he left them yeah um and they were beneficial to her Mm -hmm. but like she's being tempted with all of these things that she should want and ultimately those are none of the things that she actually wants what she really wants is to be connected with her family and her home Mm -hmm. um but i loved the way that no face took on different personalities and was like able to have a voice and reason but that's not who he truly was 
I do so. feel connected to him. I feel as like my quarantine body is very relatable to No Face as, you know, just like. <laughs> I feel you know. like No Face was also just very constipated. I cannot relate to that. I mean, I feel like he just ate so much and couldn't shit it out. <laughs> that's I my can, concern for I him. I have the opposite. I, <laughs> I cannot relate to that at all. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> um, so, as we've talked about, this is not a cult film. In the sense that we've talked about other cult yeah. films, which are films that did really poorly in the box office... Horrible critics' reviews, but people who watch it love it. Yeah. This is a cult film in the sense that Studio Ghibli has a cult following. Mm -hmm. And in the sense that this is going to withstand time. Oh, for sure. Um, But Studio Ghibli also now has enough films that it kind of feels a little bit like the Star Wars universe. Like, they, except that these don't overlap. Right. But, like, it's a similar vibe. Star Wars did really well in the box office, but definitely has a cult following. Mm-hmm. Similar feel to Studio Ghibli. Mm-hmm. I got you. I got I think. you. Pick up what you're putting down. So, I don't know that initially I would have classified this as a cult until our Patreon this week suggested it, but I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we can definitely make a re- reasonable argument. And one credit that we can always give Studio Ghibli is that they have no issue with making like superbly outrageous movies that are also a great lens and mirror into reality. Mm-hmm. How an audience is willing to go to great lengths to accept the animators um, and to accept the vision, and it's extremely rewarding. Spirited Away is a visual cluster full of vibrant characters, iconic iconic pieces of Ghibli animation and as ever filled with enjoy an enjoyable amount of energy. The consistent set of pieces found throughout some are the most viable and engaging pieces that the studio has to offer. And the connection that you make between yourself and the characters feels much deeper and much more intimate than it does with other animated films. Um, there are some characters like No Face and Lynn and uh, what's his face? She hero. Mm-mm. The dungeon guy, uh, Kamaji. That stand out to you and that you think about and feel connected to in some ways. Like you understand their lot in life. You understand the ways that they are fitting into the culture and the society. And in some ways, it feels unfair. And in other ways. You just feel like you deeply understand something about humanity by understanding them. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the brilliance of this. Also, it's just fucking gorgeous. It's so pretty. It is one of the most beautiful animated films I think I've ever seen. Yeah. I love Studio Ghibli. But um, just seeing the transformations and like the movement, the way that light is used. Oh, for sure. Is incredible. And, and that words don't necessarily, they're like dialogue is not the end all be all. And that, you know, the animation and the body language of the characters says like so much. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So ultimately, I loved this movie. I love calling it a cult classic. Um, and I hope that you all will agree with us that it definitely has 
a cult following. Oh, for sure. And everybody who listens to this podcast, I guarantee you, is like obsessed with this movie. Oh, absolutely. And if not, it's because they haven't seen it yet. Oh, you got to see it. So pause what you're doing. We're now at the end. There are no more spoilers. (laughs) It has all been spoiled. Actually, we didn't give out any real spoilers this episode. No, you went deep into like the culture behind it, which I love. Like, I love how every single like episode you give like a new lens and a new like light into it i well done thank you i feel like people can go and watch the movies themselves i want to know more why um also i'm still like i've never reviewed movies in this way so i'm still kind of trying to find my footing with it but i think we're on to something you're doing great and you know who else is on to something who Aaron Walters for choosing this topic. Agreed. Absolutely. Agreed. Thank Thank you, you, Aaron. So much for being a patron and for choosing this topic for us. If you want to choose a topic for us, a psychology, a history, a cult topic, head on over to patreon.com and search for us under podcast without an audience. We are there. There are various tiers. We got our pasta recipe up for grabs. Check that out. With the holidays coming up. Holidays. Who doesn't want a good Christmas pasta? (laughs) (laughs) You're right. Who doesn't want a Christmas pasta? I make Christmas Eve pizza (laughs) or lasagna every year. Ah, you get what else we got a close friends group on facebook i mean facebook what nobody i'm sorry instagram close friends group on instagram also y'all i'm getting married next month and we are not going to be posting any marriage or wedding content except for on our patreon oh yeah so you gotta do a little something something you earned it you earned it so if you're interested in seeing that you know, come on board the Patreon train at any level. Yeah, um, definitely check us out. We've also got some really fun, new, and exciting things coming up in the new year. So stay tuned for all of that. I know it's still early in December, but we are dreaming big. We have got big plans. We yeah. are super excited for all that is to come in 2022. Whoa, dream big. I know. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. This has been our once a month cult episode where I cover a cult and CA covers a cult classic. If you support us, blink twice. And if you're out there, keep listening. Thank you for listening to Podcast Without an Audience. Find us on social media at Pod Without an Odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at podwithoutanodd at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening.